Welcome to the Everyday Fitness and Wellbeing Podcast, where today I speak to personal trainer, life coach and endurance athlete, Peter Dudley. We cover tales of head and knee, excess, loss and crossing the desert, all within a life story that's light years away from food photos and handstands. So have a listen to the colourful world, edited that is, of PT Pete. We are back again now. Another much longer podcast this time because mm. I really wanted to get. I know we're talking about the marathon again to start with. Well, we've got the marathon coming up, haven't we? We've got the London marathon coming up in just a few days' time on Sunday the twenty third. So that's and it's the London one, and obviously I did the London one. Exactly. And so it yeah. seemed like a perfect chat to talk about. Perfect sense. Perfect yeah. sense. So. Go on then, take it away. When when did you do your London Marathon? So, do we want the do we want the whole story? <laughs> yeah, why well, not? We, we, I can I can give you a I can give you a, a I can edit it myself verbally. Okay. In fact, let's backtrack first of all and really introduce you to the listeners because we've done a couple of podcasts. Yeah. Okay. And I know you. We work together. Yeah. So, Pete, tell us a bit more about you. Who are you? What's your background? Let and me, then we'll meander okay. into it. All right, so uh, Pete, um, otherwise known as PT Pete, which is a monocle that I kind of gave myself in about 2006, I think PT Pete was born. Although I'd been involved in the fitness industry since 94, so I got qualified wow. in 94. Okay. Whereabouts uh, in the UK? I got qualified through Premier Fitness, and they were oh, okay. back in the day. Yeah. When they were only based in Wiltshire. Okay. My family lived in Wiltshire. So there was two major training houses. Well, three, three major routes you could go kind of back in. I can, I can say back in the day now. Cause of, course, of course. I'm old enough to say it and it literally <laughs> was back in the day. Um, in 93, when I was considering it, I looked at... There was Premier Fitness, which were a new company on the block. Okay. There was YMCA, yeah, who were relatively well established. And then there was obviously you could do a degree. I didn't want to do a degree because mm. mm. um, the degree at the time was more sports science. Of course, yes. And that wasn't really geared to personal training, which I'd looked at. My mum basically sent me an article about personal training. I'd been selling cars and drawing antiques mm-hmm. and had a cleaning business up in London uh, up to that point. Did various different office jobs since leaving school. So it was cars, antiques, office jobs, all sorts of things. Very but, uh, much different. Quite random. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'd always been involved in fitness. Um, Cycling and martial arts, and uh... actually, I'll stop you there only briefly. Um, that background of working with people and being able to interact and with people—that must have been a trend. Yeah, yeah. Still. I mean, I, and it was all sales. Right. I was in sales. Okay. You know, so it was sales, sales, car sales, jewelry sales, antique sales. So I was thrust into London life at a young age, and and had to deal with people much older than me. So. I kind of had to maybe maybe grow up a little bit mentally and verbally to you know mm. suddenly I was in the antique business and I was like seven sixteen seventeen dealing with um, people who were forty fifty sixty plus. Had you come to my market? No, not at all. Small town or well, I Brighton. Oh, okay. So right, right. right. Uh, but I knew somebody who knew someone who uh, knew a dealer up in London who also owned half the lanes in Brighton at the time. He was oh, a major player, right. and I wanted to work in London and. Right. I got it through that, but I was always, I was always keeping fit. I was always training. I was always riding my bike everywhere, and then basically, it came to a natural kind of um, conclusion with my job. And my mum sent me an article. Who was a qualified nutritionist? Okay, right. Sent me an article on uh, this personal trainer, and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. And back in this is '93. You know, we'd only maybe faintly heard of personal trainers in London or even maybe right. in America. Yes, of course. You know, for the rich and for the famous. Exactly, I And I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. So. And um, so, I, yeah, so off the back of that, mum was like, you know, you could use your, you know, your fitness and your enthusiasm for fitness and your martial arts and your cycling and, mm. and, and maybe, you know, try and qualify yourself and, and pass on your knowledge and your people skills. I mean, that's ultimately why I obviously moved into fitness because of... I like hanging out with Transferable people. skills. Transferable yeah. skills, Talking yeah. with Pete. Chat, chit, chat, chit, chat. Yeah. So I bowled myself off, and Wiltshire was, so I chose Premier, one reason because they were kind of a new progressive fitness company. They did exactly the qualification that I wanted. It was no frills. It was three, four months solid, 
you know, eight, nine hour days, really yeah. intense, which is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do a degree. Mm-hmm. And it was down in Wiltshire. So they were about five miles away from where my family lived. So I just stayed with my family. So that saved all that, you know, costing of the hotels and stuff like that while you're down there. Because it yeah. was a full-time course. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, so got qualified, came back to Brighton. Well, I spent a bit of time down in Bath and came back to Brighton. Got a job pretty quickly in Brighton with a club in Brighton. Was learned my trade. On the job? On the job for a fitness instructor, as I was, yeah. while I decided how I was going to bring personal training, because I was pretty well, I mean, back in the day, and I can say back in the day again, um, I don't want to say it too many times, <laughs> but we remember the yellow pages, don't we? Oh, God. We remember yeah. the yellow pages. Yes, you know, That yes. was the go-to Bible for wanting and needing anything, wasn't it? Anything. This was way yep. before. I remember paying for, a, um, I know, 300 pounds for an ad. Well, very this, small, this is it. Cheap this ad. was it. And I thought, I'm going to advertise in the Yellow Pages. And I remember ringing up the Yellow Pages and then saying, oh, I'm a personal trainer. They're like, who, what? I said, I could add. And they said, well, we don't ever. Is it gins? I said, well, not really. So they actually gave me my own header. Ah. They actually created personal fitness trainer. Yeah. And then, I, and then put me under it. Excellent. So I literally... My, uh, you know, one, claim fame. one little claim to fame was I was the, but it was a waste of money. I mean, I spent a th- thousand quid on that advert, and I got yeah. literally no phone calls because ultimately no one, yeah, no one looked up the yellow pages for personal training because personal training wasn't, <laughs> wasn't big enough to to suddenly scour who's the personal trainer. So, but you know, live and learn on personal training. So I learned yeah. my trade, then I went self-employed, um, and then yeah, kind self-employed of went down to, how for I freelance. So freelance, I picked yeah. up a client from I picked up some clients from the gym I was working at. Okay, picked up the husband of a, one of my clients in the gym, mm-hmm. who's like my first major client who I train quite a few times a week. Okay, very wealthy property developer, and then I advertised outside. You know, like the local rag, the local paper, mm-hmm. and then flyering. Did loads of that, and yeah. Yeah. I built up a business that way, and then obviously, and then I did boxer size and circuits. I was one of the very first boxer size yeah. instructors in Brighton, and okay. then I had a really successful boxer size business all over the south, probably okay. up to Gatwick and pretty well every single club in Brighton. Oh. So that was that while I was doing personal training, and um, so you uh, continued with group, uh, personal training, and you added group yeah. exercise as well, classes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I was doing. 10, 12 classes a week. That's then, a, yeah, I've been there. And I was all over the place. I was going up to Gatwick, I was going up to past Gatwick, uh, Copthorne, which is past Gatwick. I had a right. class in Copthorne, Gatwick with Dean. All the gyms are right, and I was doing about 10. I mean, probably too much, I think. And then I was doing my personal training around that. I oh, had clients in Worthing, and clients in Eastbourne. Right. I mean, I was driving around. So, was this, because I was criticised for using a similar model when mm. I lived in East Anglia. Uh, because there was a market for those that didn't like gyms mm-hmm. and for home visits or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they just wanted to train outdoors. They didn't want the gym environment, mm. but they were looking for a personal trainer. Mm. This isn't as early as the 90s, mm. uh, late 90s as you're mm. saying, but um, the reason I mention that is that I'm familiar with the amount of downtime mm. and travel time that uh, a lot of personal trainers have put off. Well, I was by. really busy. But I wasn't financially really busy, do you know what I mean? I was literally yeah. going from Eastbourne to Burgess Hill to Brighton, two classes, and I was like, wow, my day was super busy. But yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't very time constructive. I mean, I, I yeah. kind of realised... Oh, we learned these. Relatively <laughs> early on, I think I can't... I did that for a good couple of years, and then, um, and then I, I went to America, I, I trained over there, I went south, down to south of France for six months with my best mate, Joe. Oh, okay. And then me and Joe opened up our own fitness studio in Hove, Excellent. Um, which is one of the very first personal training gyms over in uh, Church Road in Hove called Evolution. Uh, we set that up. Um, he's the guy I do the, the YouTube channel with. Okay. So, Church Road, that would have been quite expensive. Uh, well, again, it was, uh, again, this is a whole other story. Um, <laughs> okay. my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, it, was, it was a big sort of beauty salon in this huge house okay. over there. There's, right. lo- there's huge homes, big, huge homes in Church Road. Right. Many of them are rest homes, actually, funny enough. That's why this so big, but this was a beauty salon, and my girlfriend at the time knew the owner of it. Oh, okay. We had a spare, massive spare room, and said, "Oh, it'd be interesting to have a fitness facility here." So we did okay. a deal. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't work because the woman in question, who won't be listening to this, so it doesn't matter because it was a long time ago, didn't get permission to run a fitness yeah. facility in Is the it? room I was using. So. 
have to, I don't know what the categories are. I know with say yeah, it, it was a, it was D two and oh, whatever that, it was. But yeah. basically, um, long story short, me and Joe built us a success a successful nine months, and then we pretty well got closed down because unfortunately the woman because or? the woman next door oh my god um, could hear could hear the well could hear the treadmill oh right and unfortunately and unbeknown to us. The woman who owned the business, the, the business I was in, had upset her next door neighbour. Um, so I think this next door neighbour was almost looking for anything to mm-hmm. cause an issue. And as, as it turned out, uh, this woman didn't even have a licence to be running her business on site <laughs> as well as my site. So, uh, you know, maybe long story short, fortunately there wasn't too much financials involved. It was just like one of those, right, that was a lesson learned. Mm. And um, so, what on earth did you do with your business? Well, basically, we couldn't we couldn't do it because we you know these guys these council guys came in and shut us down. Said you can't stop you can't start trading anymore. I mean, they are powerful. These people they, sure, they shut you sure. down, bang. Yeah. So me and Joe were like, you can't train, you can't operate here. Well, we couldn't operate we, anywhere because a we had an amazingly good deal with this thing, so we couldn't right. find a facility or a room or a space of close sort. enough mm. to get our membership base. Yeah. Close. There's no point in us opening miles away because sure. the people that came to us lived within maybe a mile. And part of the reason why you were successful was, and was, they was because we we're in Hove and it was quiet and it wasn't full of and it wasn't busy. Parking was easy. Easy. Yeah. We couldn't get a place quick enough. There wasn't a place. Mm. Unless um, you were going to go and, and then, industrial and pe- estate. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, it didn't happen. It, it, it just. There's no way we couldn't do it. There wasn't a facility. There wasn't. A, wasn't a premises. And then we would have struggled to have got any. The, the finances to, to do it because we needed a big place. Yeah. Um, so I went and got a job at a sports nutrition company selling okay. protein shakes and powders and I was a sports advisor. Okay. And Joe uh, just had to get a job. He just got a job um, doing... Uh, well, we both initially uh, left there with like, oh my God, what am we going to do? And we both ended up doing some tele sales. Yeah, you which do, was horrible. You know, you do what you have to do. Which is horrible. Often, yeah, often we ended up selling, ended up selling uh, websites to businesses. This was like early stage website. I and mean, we're talking 1998. 1999. Yeah, around 1999. 99. It was horrible. Anyway, yeah. I saw a job for a sports nutrition role, selling sports nutrition powders, protein mm. shakes and stuff like that. And so I got the job there. Mm-hmm. Um, had what somewhere like Holland and Barrett or something? Or? It was a private. It was like sports. It was a. It was a like a private um, independent business. Oh, okay, yeah. That yeah, sold yeah, their own sure deals on on. Um, and again, this was like before the sports nutrition market went ballistic. Mm. So the gun, these guys were kind of like early stage. It was always bubbling anyway because there was well, you had the uh, the fr- the throwback. Well, you had Weeder. You remember Weeder? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, this yeah, was this yeah. was selling. Some mm. some products that were kind of like really you know quite specialised. Mm. We were I was taken on board as a but it was still a, underground a, the body whole bodybuilding. It was like, yeah yeah exactly. We had um, we had a magazine we had a mailing list had like thousands of people that we sent out the products to and we sold sort of cutting edge American products that were just starting to come over to the UK. Mm-hmm. The the boss had the sort of exclusive rights on. on okay. It's only maybe you know half a dozen brands, and we were the PTs. Ultimately, he hired PTs to offer fitness advice along with purchasing the products right that was his customer service I want the phones are manned not just by salespeople they are manned by salespeople who are fitness people so when you ring up and say can I buy this protein shake by mm. the way when do I take it and how do I take it yeah and so we were able so we yeah, were you were making the sale yeah we were making Definitely. the sale we were just any were, were the products of any quality and you mentioned your mother was a uh, nutritionist yeah um, the products they were the top products at the time at the time at the time they were the top products sure Um, Sure. they were the you know the scientifically tested blah 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 products sure was Um, it a case of just money or did you believe in the I've got my own views on on supplements um, it was a uh, job that was semi-connected to fitness because obviously I was fitness and I didn't necessarily want to just go back into I didn't want to go back to just being a fitness instructor again I would have but this job came up I was was just didn't quite know what to do exactly sure Uh, I was in a slight limbo but this came up and I thought it seemed like an interesting opportunity they had connections with America yeah again and so and that was something that Evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the role ended. How long? I, and what sort of time frame was this? 
because you said you did about nine ninety nine into two thousand. Two thousand the telly sales. So yeah. I'm going to build up to the uh, London marathon. Don't worry. Okay. No. Um, no. No. Just. Uh... So I left there, and because I met a girl who um, had an idea of opening a sex shop. Pause. <laughs> the turn of uh, 2000. Yeah, so... The noughties, the start of the, the noughties. The and, and I... Yeah, talking of naughty. Talking of naughty. Nice link, Sean. <laughs> nice link. So I met a girl and I had kind of already got the connections to go back to America. Right, okay. Um, Which part of America? Do you remember? Uh, this would have been Houston this time. I was in California before. Oh, okay. This, this, it was the, this connection was in Houston, mm. Texas. Um, met this girl, she had this idea of running, of opening a really, um, a really kind of upmarket sex shop for women. Okay. Just for women? Just for women. Oh, okay. So, and anyway, so she'd had all the designs, she had all the ideas, mm-hmm. and it seemed like an awesome project. I had said that I wanted to go to the state, she was, we were, had a summer of love, mm-hmm. uh, even got her name tattooed on my ankle, which is now covered up. As you can put her name oh, under there. It's under there. It's uh, under the star. Okay. Yeah, no. there's a star. Right. Her name was on that. Um, so it was a summer of love. She kind of, well, we kind of mutually convinced me not to go to the states and and get involved with the sex shop. Instead, well, there you are. Well, and I thought, why not? <laughs> and ultimately, I wanted to be with her. So yeah, we opened up uh, the shop and. And this is here in Brighton? Yes, yeah, it's, in, it's, in, it's in Brighton. Is it what's still here, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's phenomenally, very Brighton. successful. Oh, okay. Um, Sex sells, carry on. It does. Um, so for two and a half years, it was pretty well party, gallery openings, restaurants, fashion shows, more partying. Right. right. And not a lot of personal training <laughs> happened within this time. <laughs> It was a very hedonistic two and a half years, right, should right. I just say. And different types of products compared to the nutritional products. Yeah, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. It was not protein powders, put it that way. <laughs> so you partied hard. <laughs> very hard. Our relationship came to an end um, early to, uh, just at 2003, the end of 2003. My dad was seriously ill at the time oh, right. also. And I moved in with him. And I looked after him. Okay. He passed away only a few months after that. He uh, he smoked loads and just definitely wasn't a very fit chap. Right. Um, were, so, you clo- were you close? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were close. Yeah. Um, so that was that was that time mm. and that. But I was already partying a lot up to that point, and then um, life took a yeah. I had basically access to cash and. Continued to party and not work. Even after, even after his death, then more so. Is, oh, more so. More. Oh, okay, right. This galvanised the yes, party. This, yeah. So, and this pretty well went on until. So we're at two thousand and three now. Yeah. So passed pa- 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 with... away uh, in, in March two thousand and four. Party, party, party. Met a girl, another girl. Party, party, party. Finished. Ran out of money. Circuit two thousand and six. Kind of needed to get back onto the uh, work because I've been partying since '99 anyway. So this 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 was continuation. <laughs> kind of tried to get back onto the normality of life a little bit. I was basically I did a pro- bought a property in Cyprus. It all went completely wrong. Right. I was promised a load of money and it went wrong. And the guy did me out of like a huge bunch of cash, which I was relying on because I'd already spent all my cash. And oh. I'm not even going down that route. But basically, I ended up with nothing and so I kind of I thought well I needed to get my and I'd kind of got my head together at this point I had a okay. quite a bad time and then I kind of through self medication <laughs> I'd got myself uh, kind of better really but I was kind of no, there was nothing going on so I kind of um, through self medication so I'm going to just, just partying so you were <laughs> right okay <laughs> I mean I got lost um, but so quite a yo-yo of of uh, a lot of excess, a lot of partying, and then yeah, the it was real, it was rock and roll, pure rock and yeah, roll, nothing enough. more than that. It was pure rock and roll, right? But you um, ran out of cash. Yeah, I did. And the head and knee came to an end. It did really, and I'm, I'm mentally, I had to. Well, I had to. Well, I had to. Um, and I then got a job up in London, working for a really high end London club, just to get my head back into gear. So I worked for the Harbour Club in Chelsea, which was a super exclusive oh, club. Worked yeah, there for a bit. Yeah. 
and then I worked for uh, then I worked for Virgin Group for a little bit, and then I had you maintained your fitness throughout? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Always, oh, always, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good. That's yeah. good. So you were. I had, a, I had a very. I had a very. I had a, a mentor in the in the world of partying who, who told me one time. He said, um, "Dear boy, who was a very wealthy, well-spoken chap who pretty well parted forever." He said, "Do you know the true meaning of hedonistic, of hedonism?" I went, "No." He says, "Well, the true hedonism, the true hedonist, the true hedonist, never lets his uh, parting interfere with his health, because the true hedonist wishes to party forever." There we are. So that's a takeaway for the listeners, is it? That's a takeaway. Yeah, fair enough. So I didn't obliviate. I mean, I did party hard, but um, I was always aware, very body aware, very physically aware. So I did keep myself relatively fit. A lot more weight training, probably more than cardio, which is a key factor for the next few years. So it was very much weight training related. I was very lean. Mm -hmm. I had a nickname of Hamilton after George Hamilton because I spent a lot of time in (laughs) sunbeds. So I looked looked awesomely fit. Right. Right. But I was not particularly fit inside. So you're one of the glamorous, beautiful people. I was a very glamorous, beautiful person, but internally I was Johnny Rotten. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Externally I was, uh, you know, um, Liberace and Elvis, but internally I was Johnny Rotten. Can you look back and... uh, No, I'm not going to talk about regrets. I'm going to talk about, do you feel that you learnt there's a lot of positives from there? I don't take any... A lot of people ask me that, and when I've told the full story, yeah, sure, of course. And I'm like, no, I take it. I, you know, if the, the, it was the time, it, what I did was what I did. Yeah, we can even we can eat you. Everybody can look back and go, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I'm doing that. But when you do what you do at that time, you're doing it generally. In that moment, of course, you're not thinking about it. You're just doing it. You know, your headspace. I did that because I did that, mm. and all the things I did, at the time, seemed the right things to do. Okay. Okay. And that's it. And ultimately, if I look back, I was really, really, really depressed and down. And ultimately, I didn't want the money that I'd been left. Mm. And I wanted my dad. Yeah. So I did. So I just spent money making myself happy. I bought loads of it. I bought a Bentley. I bought mm. cars, Jeeps, watches, holidays, girlfriends, mm. put money in the girlfriend's bank accounts, bought myself watches, sold the watches, had to sell the watches, put the, had to sell the cars back again. Mm. Bought a flat flat in Cyprus. That didn't work. I mean, I was doing loads of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but it's you know busy. yeah, but I was buying stuff to make myself happy. But I wasn't. I mean, it was, I wasn't. Yeah, wasn't. It was second hand cars. They weren't like fortunes. Um, when but yeah, you, when did you realise that, or is it just you know growing up now and looking back that you can identify that those were the reasons? I mean, uh, I've not I kind of look back. I look back, but yeah, probably it wasn't that many years ago. I mean, it wasn't that many. It was probably you know in the sort of 2012, 20, 2011, 2012 when I was, you know, completely sorted, as it were, that I then could look back and go, you know what, I... And then having spoken to more people over, you know, since, and having those times happened, and then talking to other people that maybe had other times, mm. um, realising that, wow, you know what, I was... You, I was really down, you know, and, I, mm. and I've had people saying, you know why you did that, don't you? Mm. So I've had, you know, so having other people saying, you mm. did that because of that reason, I was like, actually, you know what, I, you know, and I remember, I remember, you know, having... A whole bunch of cash in the bank, Bentley outside, and I couldn't wake up. I didn't want to get up. Mm. I just literally didn't. My girlfriend went off. She was doing college, and I was lying in bed. And I thought, externally, it looks like I've got everything I want. Yeah, I've got a big fat bank account. I've got a car that I always wanted. And it was a second-hand thing, but mm. Mm. and I, you know, and I had bought myself a big TV with a sound system. But I didn't want to get up. I just had no motivation to get up. I didn't know what to do with myself. I had no. All my, mo- all my motivation had gone to be because, you know, in, in one way, you know, having a bunch of cash takes the motivation away in a way because suddenly, oh, it wasn't like millions or anything like that, mm. but, but, but how- I, and also I was really down and I was partying, which didn't help as well. And so you found yourself, you found yourself at the end when the cash all ran out, you found yourself in, in Chelsea still. Yeah. So I got uh, myself a nice job, job in London and I was living with a girl. Um, I moved in with her because only because you know all my money had run out, so I moved in with her and um, made excuses why I had to move in with her, and so it wasn't shouldn't have really done it, but you know I had nowhere else to go. Sure. So I was living with her, kind of rent free, getting trying to do this job in London, but it didn't really work out, and in the end it just didn't work out. I just wasn't right. I still wasn't quite ready to do this thing, mm. and there wasn't enough money to be honest. Sure. Um, and then. 
life was still quite messy. I mean, I was still dealing with stuff. Sure. And um, I basically didn't do that job, split up from that girlfriend, uh, had a staying with some friends floor. And this, this is when life took another turn. It was literally, you know, I ended up staying with my best mate's floor. I didn't want to stay with him anymore. And then I, I used to, he used to drop me off to, to the Brighton every morning in his car. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to Starbucks with my rucksack on and pretend and I had enough money for a coffee every day and I just spent there all day. And he thought I worked, but I didn't. I just spent, I washed, brushed my teeth in the Starbucks toilet. Right. I lived, you know, that was my little place. Right. And he did, we did that every day for a few weeks. And then in the end, I said to Joe, I can't. I can't keep taking up your floor anymore. I said, uh, and I made out that I'd got something sorted in Brighton. Yeah. And I hadn't. Right. I hadn't had anything sorted at all. I had no money on my phone and I was literally due to be homeless. At this time we're looking at This was at 2007. What? 2007. Yeah. So, so 10 years ago, practically yeah. ho- homeless. Well, I was. For that night, I had a client who I was supposed to have trained the next day who paid me cash. And I'd been let down for this place to stay in Brighton and it'd all gone wrong basically. I had no money on my phone. It was about 9pm at night. I was in Brighton Station and I was thinking, right, how the hell did I get here? Mm. But the catalogue of events, you know, I'm a clever guy, I've got a close family, but pride, I kept every time. Oh, yeah. every, every time my mum rang, I was like, everything's right, yeah, everything's fine, mum. Just didn't let us, didn't say anything, you know. Sure, just sure. Kept it to myself. And um, anyway, the ra- most randomness thing happened, you know, and I've always, I've always had that. This is my dad helped me out here. So no job, in no Brighton, job, no job ago. in Brighton. Got P five five P on my phone. Uh huh. Nowhere to go. Uh, friends were living, you know, in Stenning and in Father Bruce's. You know, and it was I didn't know where to go. Yeah. Uh, my, some of my friends were all over in Eastbourne and Chichester. So, and there was a group of friends that had all fallen out through this ex for this breakup and stuff. It was all a bit messy. Sure. So I went to Brighton Station and uh, I thought, right, okay, well, I'll spend a night here. And then I decided that when I got the money off of uh, my client the next day, I was going to chuck some money onto my phone and ring up my family and have that massive phone call and say, it's all gone wrong. Yeah. Um, help. Literally, but, but, literally Pete Tong. Sorry. Literally gone Pete Tong. Literally yeah. Yeah. Pete Tong. Anyway, that didn't need to happen because randomly, I was sitting at Brighton Station, this is no word of a lie, my phone rang, it's from a, a friend of mine, um, who I hadn't seen for a year. Okay. She rings me up and says, hi Pete, sorry to call you. I went, that's no problem. I'm just calling to see if you know anyone who may want a room. Perfect. And I was like, uh, I want a room. <laughs> and I said, well, I've just, and I said, I've just landed in Brighton. I've just come down from London. Yeah. I said that she's when she lived at the Seven Dials, which is like oh, no, not yeah. far away. Sure. And she, I said, she's really, and I, I made this complete lie up that my landlord was selling the house, and and I had to get out quickly. And I, she went really, and she said, "Do you wanna, do you wanna pop up?" Well, I, I think I said, "Shall I pop up and say hi?" And she went, "It'd be lovely to see you pop up." So I, I thought, right, here we go. Walked up to to see these two. I won't put any names. So I walked up to see them, and uh, before we know it, the beers were flowing. Got to about two o'clock in the morning, and then I was offered to stay. She says, "Do you want to um? Do you want to stay in your your room? You know, in yeah. brackets." Yeah. I went, "Yeah, all right." So I stayed in the room, and randomly. Fantastic. Next day, trained my client, got the cash, put the phone, rang up my mum. Had the worst phone call in the world to say it's all gone wrong, mum. Yeah, you still had that phone call then. Yeah, I had to because yeah, I, I had I had forty quid. Yeah, you know that wasn't going to go anywhere. No, but I had to just literally go. Well, I can't do this again. Sure. Because obviously I moved into the house with the premise of paying rent. <laughs> well, of course. Yes. So I had to come up with rent suddenly. So mm-hmm. I said, yeah, no problem. So anyway, so I had this phone call. I went down to Bath. I sat around with my family and just pretty well sort of said, right, this is pretty well what's happened since 2003. Ouch. It was an ouch. Ugh. It was an ouch. And there was tears. And they were more upset. They were more upset that I got myself to that point. Mm, they used well, the word disa- disappointed. Yeah, just more, just upset that I hadn't, that yeah. I hadn't, that I'd got to myself to that absolute low point without telling them. You know, there were, there was just so, we can't believe your life was going that way when we had no idea. Sure. I was sure, like, well, I'm sorry, sure. it was just pride. Well, pride. The pride, and, and were they also upset that you hadn't approached them earlier? Then, massively, yeah, massively. And then obviously they were super upset that I spent all the money. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think to, my, to this day, I don't think my mum knows I bought the Bentley, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, so but, yeah, they, yeah, it's fun. Not, not every detail has been, but they don't, no, no one knows to know everything, do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so now this is... Oh, you can always edit some out if you wish. No, 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 it's fine, keep it away. So now this is slowly brings us up to, now I'm at Nick and, so basically my, I got helped out, I got, yep. given, some, got given some money for, for rent. Yep. and told very strictly to sort myself out and mm-hmm. get a job. You got to get out of jail free. Get myself or... sorted. So I had to get out free, but I had, you know, I got, and I was like, Good I conditions. totally know, and now I I'm now living with people. I can't be living them for free and not come up rent. So yeah. I got given some money to pay the rent, just enough. Yep. And I've never, you know, been the sort of person that asks for money off of family and stuff. So it was like, right, okay, let's do that. Sure. Um, now, a very heavy partied new year into 2008. Okay. Um, this was a quite a party couple. Right. right. So very, very heavy few days into the new year. It got to about the 3rd of January and I was like, I, I can't <laughs> be in here anymore. I need to go for a run. Yeah. And I went for a run. Okay. Now I ran. I did a forest gum. <laughs> I hadn't ran any distance for years. Right. I just had to run. I ran out of the Seven Dials and people won't know where this is, but... Mm. It was. I ended up running. So this is a, Seven Dials is pretty much centre near Brighton. Near Brighton Station. Exactly. I ran out to the South Downs. Right. And now this is pre, you know, phone tracking and mm. and I came back and my crew were like, "Have you been running all this time?" I went, "Yeah." And they were like, "Google mapped it." You remember when you used to be able oh, to map your? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I ran twelve miles. My immediate thought was, yeah. "That's half a marathon." Mm. So from that I went. You know what? I'm going to do the London Marathon this year. And you hadn't done any no, other I just running. No, I was probably fueled by all sorts of things. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Fair enough. Fair now, enough. The, back, the background story to... Now, the other little background story. So that's where I am right now. 12 miles. 12 miles on the, on, the 4th, on the 4th of January. Also, it was like something like early January. I'd run 12 miles. I'd then decided to run the London Marathon that year in April. Wow. Um... Now, the, the reason why I decided was because when I was born, I had a heart condition, which oh, basically okay. meant, it was a murmur, which isn't right. a massive thing, but mm-hmm. it meant me going to hospital. I was only teen, I was like four pound two when I was born. Mm. Tiny little thing, it wasn't sure. premature, I was just tiny. Had a heart problem. Mm-hmm. I had to go to hospital for the first 18 years of my life, every year to the hospital, get ECG'd up and lift up and x-rayed, and, which I didn't particularly like. Yeah, sure. And, on, and I had a doctor called Dr. Chamberlain. Mm. And on one of my many unhappy visits, he told me, mm. don't worry, Pete. One day you'll do the London Marathon. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. You'll run that London Marathon. Like, he told told you this at a young age? He told me I was about eight or nine. On one of my particularly unhappy visits was crying right. my eyes out, because I used to hate it. Yeah. And he told me, one day you'll do the London Marathon. So it was planted mm. by him. I, have n- I never knew when I was going to do it. I mean, up to that point, I hadn't ran at all. Sure. So I didn't know when, when was I, when was I going to do this. And yes. obviously, this was now the time. And wow. I told my, my housemates this story, and they're like, this is the time. Wow. I managed to get a charity place. Excellent. And I trained as much as I could. And within this training time, this is when suddenly, you know, this is if you believe, stay positive, that things will turn out right. Because I always believed things would turn out right. I maintained a positive mind that I wasn't destined to go completely to the dark side. Which well, there was done. a moment where I could have easily rolled over and stayed down there. Yeah. But sure. I thought, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not on this planet for this. I'm, I'm here for more. Mm. So I maintained as much positive as I could. Trained for the marathon, which was probably the best thing I could do. And then I had a random phone call from a random friend who told me about an opportunity working in a, health, uh, the, a country club in the country, funny enough, mm. who uh, they wanted a manager. I got the job. Wow. Okay. And then I had all the personal training that I wanted. Wow. Then off the back, of, then I ended up staying actually in the country club. They had on-site premises. Well, they actually had this huge, great big metal caravan, something like out of Willie for Weapon, if you remember that one on the beach, um, the movie. That, um, oh, yeah. That, um, so. Mel, Mel Gibson, I, yeah. I stayed in one of these things. And then I had another random phone call. This is all before April, before the marathon, from another old friend of mine who just got himself a flat in Brunswick Square, which is one of the nicest squares in Brighton, and they needed a third housemate. And he said, are are you still living in Brighton? I went, I am. I went down and saw this beautiful flat and ended up living in Brunswick Square. He was also on a, funny enough, he was on, I won't say that, he was funny enough on a slight, he was self-employed and he had a bit of a a problem with some money. 
and he had some HP payments on his little sports car. Okay. Who then he said, "Can you help me with my sports payments on my on the payments on my car?" I went, "Yeah, I can actually." Mm. So and this was a week before the London Marathon. So a week before the London Marathon, I was you know fun. I was had this amazing Why? job. I was, I was driving around in this sports car that I owned <laughs> half of, and I was super fit. On this. Driving around the seafront and yeah, walking in exactly. London. Yeah, exactly. How life changed. And then uh, I did the London Marathon, which was absolutely emotional for me on so many levels because of A, it's the London Marathon. I'd seen it on TV every Sunday, yeah. running down Pall Mall, the crowds, the cheers. And yeah, I cried when I went over the finish line because it was such an, a, such an emotional event anyway. It's 42K, mm. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so physically hard. Um, did it in four and a half hours. That's good. Um, for training, not being a runner. And no, high percentage from... of my training was done on a bike as well because mm-hmm. just wasn't a runner, so I did a lot yeah. of cycling as well. Mm-hmm. R- cried because obviously, remember my doctor's telling me that one day I'd do it, this yeah. was the day. Cried because of where I'd been yeah. and how I meant and how am I doing this. And mm. and suddenly life life from that pretty one moment continued in the same vein. And then, you know, and then that was, that was, that was the year that I then decided I'm going to be the fittest because I'm a very extreme person. Okay. Because I was a bodybuilder, I wanted to be the the biggest. When I was partying, I wanted to party the hardest. When mm-hmm. I was a, then I did the London Marathon in 2008. I decided I wanted to be the fittest ever. So that started me on my journey of you know marathons, ultra marathons, ultra events, right. which we can probably discuss at another time. Well, I think we'll do a, we'll, at this point pause here and we'll have a part two. Okay, so you completed. Completed the London, the very emotional London Marathon. Yeah. Yeah. I was beaten for days. I mean, my legs were absolutely shot to bits. I've never known pain <laughs> like that. Um, even in my bodybuilding years, my 10 years of being a bodybuilder, you know, smashing my legs out, that, that run was tough. But yeah, so I recovered and um, I, where are we now? 2008, 2009. Um, Can I stay, stay with this yeah. London Marathon for mm. a moment. How did you... What sort of focus? Sure, you've been training people, you've been motivating people yeah, in, you know, in the gym, and that's fine with weights. Maybe you had the interesting thing. Yeah, actually, it's very interesting. The interesting thing now, I. It's very hard with when you do marathons. It's very easy to get caught up with people running, and and you not know your own pace. I mean, now, mm. it's different now. Everyone's got Garmin watches and trackers and Strava. This hadn't even been existed in in you know. I mean, we're only talking two thousand and eight, but since two thousand eight to now, there's. Yeah. Everyone tracks and knows how far their minute miles are, and mm-hmm. I didn't have any of that tracking. I'd never been very much into mm. tracking and stuff like that. Sure. And so, my I knew how fast I knew my pace. So I got overtaken by you know people dressed as toilets and <laughs> rhinoceroses. And, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't care. I got dre- you know passed by vicars and and anybody. But I stuck to my pace, and the focus was each. 10 kilometers because I think or, or miles because it's I think it's, I think the, I think I don't know if it's in miles or kilometers but you've got back you've got bound you get tells you where five right? yes of course yeah with the right so I just thought get to miles. 10 get to 10 I can do 10 get to 20 get to 20 I can do 20 and in my training I'd done I did about 20 miles I think okay in my training mm. um, so the focus was I think because I had so much emotion behind doing it mm. it to not finish was, was, I was like, I couldn't not finish because yeah. all that I'd gone through, uh, and there's a lot more to my story, but. Very you know, symbolic. Very symbolic, yeah. So I thought, well, if I, you know, I got through that, I got through that, I can get through this. There's no way I was not going to get through it. Yeah. You know, and I felt confident enough in my ability, mm-hmm. even if I crawled over. Yeah. I said to myself, even if I break my leg, which is a stupid thought because mm. it's unlikely to break your leg running, but. I even thought I will drag myself over that. It was not fin- it was so the focus was I can't I just want to get that medal, Mike. I want to get that medal. Mm. I want to get that medal. And that that was long enough. And just to I had the doctor in my head going, One day Pete, you can do and, I, and he also told me that I was gonna be the Barnet Man because when I was growing up the six million dollar man was one of the biggest yeah. TV shows. So he Steve also Austin. said to me that I was gonna be, you know, Steve Austin because I was always like always hooked up to this thing and So the focus was oh, I just wanna get that medal. And I was running for so many little reasons. A because I was told that I would yeah. when I was a kid. B because I was running out demons and I was yeah yeah uh, proving to myself, proving to people 
I could do it. So there was a lot going on. You know, I was running, and there was a lot going on in my head that I hadn't told people why. Because obviously, oh, in right. search, sure, sure. I was running with that. So now, when I got back to the back to the house, um, my because you when you have a chip on your that's right, yeah, on your shoe, mm-hmm. and it shows you you know what your what your times are. My ten kilometer uh, pace was was something like a minute within each ten k. So okay. per 10k, mm-hmm. it was about an hour, you know, just under an hour. It was almost minute perfect. Excellent. So my okay. pacing was, right. I just knew how fast I could run, yeah. like a little metronome. Without any tracking. Without whatsoever. tracking, I just knew how yeah. fast to run. Sure. I didn't get caught up in the wave of people and I didn't sprint to the end, there's no way. <laughs> I just literally, it was, and then they were like, you know, they tracked it and they were like, you, you were like a minute within a minute of everything, even the 40k, 30 to 40k was as quick as the, the zero to 10K. Because plod, plod, plod. And that's, mm. you know, I'm quite good at that. Mm. And that started to sort of think, I'm good at I'm good at this, just the plod. Not necessarily super quick, but yeah, the plod. So that was 20, uh, 2008. 2009, I don't think I did anything 2009. 2010, I decided to cycle from Brighton to Bath on a mountain bike. Okay. So we're now two years, no other running events? No, I didn't do anything running there. Um, didn't continue with tr- any what, trails or... No, I didn't, no, no, I didn't know. There wasn't any really obstacle course horses back then. So yeah, they, they've only come out. Yeah, so, no, but I had decided that I was going to do something. But I'd also heard in the pipeline that Brighton was going to run their very first ever full marathon in 2011. Okay. And right. I thought, and also, and I didn't, this is another little fact, the 2008 London Marathon was one, celebrating 100 years of the distance. Oh, right. So my actual 2008 medal has 100 years of the marathon distance on it. Oh. <laughs> Which that, is an amazing medal to have, yeah, and I indeed. thought, well, I can't beat that. And I thought, the only one that I'm going to beat is if I do the very first marathon. So, so my, my London, my Brighton Marathon is the inaugural Brighton Marathon. I thought, that's a, it's very rare you get the opportunity to do the very first of the of a huge event and exactly. that's how I was there so 2000 yeah, so 2009 yeah 2010 I decided to cycle from Brighton to from Bath. Brighton to Bath I just got up one day pretty well and said right I'm going to cycle down to Bath mm-hmm. which oh, is what distance is that about 140 miles okay did it on a mountain bike was a little bit crazy but it took me 12 hours <laughs> <laughs> I had this massive backpack on and uh, I wasn't really good at reading maps and again it was I had a proper map with paper right. map not like a phone <laughs> <laughs> I left at 6am and got down to my mum's at about 6pm that was tough mm. um, but again it was just another little challenge I set myself mm. and I cycled halfway back as well the next day the next day yeah oh and I literally goodness. collapsed in pretty well and my girlfriend had to pick me up and put the bike in the back of her boot mm. so that was that 2011 was when I decided to do the Brighton Marathon right so I decided to do the Brighton the Marathon very first which, you know, that brought its own, that was another, you know, and this is something that people could, could be interested in because I was working for a, another sports nutrition company at the time, funny enough, okay. and as an advisor and, and uh, as I, was in, I was in the business. And I ran with the, the guy who owned the shop now. The week two, was it about three weeks, four weeks before the Bright Marathon, I did an amazing 21 mile run. I mean, literally I ran, I lived in Shoreham at the time, yeah, I literally ran from Shoreham to Rottingdean and back pretty well. It was I felt amazing. Mm. And then the guy I was working with, he hadn't hardly done any training, and he said to me about a week before that I need to get a run in. I said, look, I can't be doing any long runs. Mm. He goes, no, 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 I just need to do a little run. What happened? We ended up running fifteen miles. This is this is a one week before. After you'd already done 21, 21 miles now. So, um, obviously, my marathon inexperience and my exuberance. Yeah, yeah. And we, well, we ended up running 15 miles because we weren't properly tracking it and it just worked out that I was like, oh, sure, that's sure. not good. So, I, so basically, I had a tough Brighton marathon. Yeah. Did it in about 4.45, four, five hours. Mm. Hated every, hated pretty well half of it. But I pretty well got to the pier on the way back. Yeah. You know, but, you sure. know about the 12 mile point. I was hating it. Didn't know if I could carry on. I know that I had all my family down. <laughs> I had my phone in my hand. I even rang them up to say I don't know if I can do it anymore. Oh. Um, this was this is also at the time when right far into the power station at the, the very first one there was nothing there. Oh. It was like running into a tumbleweed city. Yeah. You know. I think, I think the year after that they put loads of stands out there for people, but it was 
didn't have a great time. I pretty much stumbled. Kevin, uh, the guy, I uh, name drop now, but it doesn't matter. Um, he 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 like hurt his leg, and we pretty well like went over the line like um, like a three-legged race, pretty well. You know, he we were on each other's <laughs> shoulders. Um, but you did it. You achieved. I did it, and I achieved it. Um, now, also crazily, <laughs> now this is going to sound mental. I had seen in the press over the years this this elusive race in the desert called the Marathon de Sable. Right. Now there may be people that know this race. Mm. It's it's six marathons back to back across the Sahara Desert. Fully self sufficient, so you have to run with everything on your back other than the tent you sleep in, your food, what you lay on, your food for the week, and it's in fifty six degree weather and it looks meant it's known as the toughest foot race in the world. I'd always had that as like, ooh. I just kept seeing it in the press over the years. This is even right. before I'd done the London Marathon. Oh, okay. You know, there'd be okay. like a paper article about it. And I'd sure, go, sure. Looks. And for some reason, it just it just stayed in my head, this, yeah. this like mythical race in the desert. Yeah. yeah. And so I hadn't even done the London Marathon at this point, but I knew about it. So off the back of Brighton having a bath, I was like, I'm going to do the Marathon de Sable. <laughs> just the way I am, you know. I, was, I don't know, it's crazy. My it was this. goodness. So I booked it in for 2013. I so, started running. This is, let's just get the dates. Yeah. Just a reminder. So I did the, the Brighton date. Marathon in 2011. That's 2011. And you um, came to this decision to. In sometime, sometime throughout, from, from sometime after 2011, I kind of thought, what am I going to do next? Right. And then I decided to do. I looked into the Marathon de Sable, but it wasn't available until 2013. So a good two years. So I thought, right. So what I did was I booked up the Jurassic Challenge in March 2012. Okay. Which is three marathons back to back. Right. Trail running along the Jurassic Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my one year starter to the MDS. Excellent. So, how I, did you get on with the Jurassic, the free back to back? That was, that was, you know what? It was, again, something I've never ever done before. Yeah. I've never done the trails, and I've certainly never done the ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. Sure, sure. Trained for it over the downs, but yeah. um, ran to do some beach running. Um, and just bowled up and did it because I think the, you know the power of the mind is is and I kind of realised over these kind of few years up to this point that my mind was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I kind of didn't analyse things very much. I just got on with it and generally was a very positive outlook about I'll do this. Sure. I think if you believe you can, you can. If you believe mm-hmm. you can, you can't. Sure. So have I you of, always had that. Or yeah, it seemed, really yeah, and it kind of just got more involved. You know, all the stuff that had gone on with this life, mm-hmm. and then got into these ultra running and the long runs. I started to think, oh, I'm quite my head's good for this you know this is what I'm good at this long stuff this long stuff what did you do uh, we're talking about your head was in a good place mm. obviously when you're doing long runs there's a lot of thinking time so what on earth did you do you know in your head in my head I would think about um, future okay never think about past right never dwelled on anything I've still now I've never I'm a future boy Okay. Never dwelled on what happened, what's happened, what's, mm-hmm. what's happened is what happened. Mm. Can't change it. Done. Sure. We could all dwell on that, and I think people spend too much time thinking about what's happened. It's done. You know, it's literally physically impossible to change what is done, unless we get, you know, we can buy a DeLorean and mm. go back in time. But we haven't invented time machines. But who'd want to go back anyway? Well, who knows? So I've always been very futuristic in my head. So I think about so when I was running, I'm thinking about doing this. And so when I'm doing the Jurassic Run, I'll be thinking about the, 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 the this is my training for the desert, and I'll be dreaming. Then I'll be dreaming about running across the so desert. So have you done ultra marathons no. leading up to the Jurassic no. One? No. All oh, right. So no. you're doing this Jurassic. You complete that. Complete that first day. Um, Tip six, seven hours. Each day is good, you know, because you're up and down. I mean, it's a longer day. Sure. And it is ultra running. So suddenly you're in a world where everybody, everything's running a bit slowly. Yeah. You, uh, somebody just said ultra running is an excuse just to eat all day. Because <laughs> it's like you had feed stations. Like, yeah. Wow, and you had sure. like cake and sweeties oh, and jelly babies yeah. and flapjacks. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, wow. And you had that relatively regularly. I was like, this yeah. is amazing. I love this ultra running. And on ultra running, generally an ultra marathon is something considered longer than a marathon. So yes. these, these were about 20... 26, 26.9 and then 27, 28. They were roughly. Oh, they were roughly. Right. They weren't, because they were off road, so they weren't yeah. going to be exact. Right. right. Um, at the, I woke up on the, on the second day, my legs were in bits. And I was like, I don't know, how am I going to run another 26 miles? Yeah, exactly. And people were like, Pete, your legs will be fine. You run an hour in and you'll have your best race. I'm like, really? <laughs> Do you know what? That learned me so much. I had right. the best day on the second day. I, I, my legs felt amazing. Had the best day. 
I was like, wow, that learned me a lot about muscle ache and how, how muscles repair and running on achy muscles. Any ice baths in there? No, literally. Any of that? No, we came back, had a beer. Be- had a beer? Yeah, we did. We had massage? a massage? Did you cramp no, up? No, had a beer and had some food and then went to bed early, got up and did it. Third day wasn't pleasant, I must admit. That third marathon was really brutal. Sure. Uh, legs were in bits at that point, but still did it. Right. And then it was really, end of the Jurassic Challenge, full-blown, and, and I was always, when you book a massive event, mm. it consumes you. Yeah. All I could think about was the desert, the desert, the desert. Every day I woke up with the desert. And um, I, had, you I, ever, I, had you ever, you'd been to the States, you'd said Texas. Yeah. So had you, California. California. Had you seen much similar terrain or experienced no. much? No, 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 no. No. Oh, right. Okay. So I basically ended up finding a, a guy who was an MGS expert who lived down in Wales. I cooked up with him and he gave me some amazing advice. He basically said, Pete, you live in England, all right, end of the day. You could do heat shaping training. You could, you could go to Tenerife for a week. Don't bother. He said, it's never going to replicate the desert. The desert is a unique beast. Blimey. And if anything, you could go and run in Tenerife for a week and hate it. Okay. And, and it'll be more hu- there'll be more humidity in Tenerife than will be in the desert anyway, because there's no humidity in the desert. So unless you go to the desert before the desert and run in the desert to test you out, he said, your best, best bet is to have no idea what's going to happen. You don't want to sort because he said, because he knew people that went to say Canaries and Tenerife for a week yeah. and replicated a week of running with a backpack on. Sure. That and was... hated it. Oh, and no. like, oh God, this is so hard. And then of course you're thinking, if this is hard, what's that going to be like? So when you're going into something with like a predisposed idea now, uh, better go into be fresh and almost non, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is get yourself as fit as possible. So when you're standing on the start line, yeah. you know you're fit. Right. What happens from then, from then on, you're kind of a luck of the gods anyway. He says, trust me, Pete, I've known top runners failing in the MDS because of the environment. He said, so, he says, it, you know, you could be, just be fit and just deal with it. And, that, and that's what happened. So I beach ran, I, I really put a strong year together. Ran along the beach with my backpack on, has a 10 kilo backpack, yeah. did fell running, downs running. Went on the treadmills for, for to good for three hours on the treadmills. Wow. Incline treadmill walking. Where were you working at this stage? Yeah, I was working at the gym. Oh, so okay. I got the job in 2011 at the gym. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, so that took, took me right up to the day of the, the desert, which I guess we could maybe talk about. Well, there's a lot to which go is another there. Which is another whole yeah. thing to talk about, the day of the um, Marathon de Sable, which mm. was... Yeah, which was uh, phenomenal. I survived. We'll talk about that, perhaps in a bite size. We'll really, yeah, we'll talk, we'll we can really we can talk that about drill, in a bite drill, size. Yeah, drill drill down into um, how on earth yeah. you, you managed it. Certainly with yeah. uh, um, what there's there's a lot there's a lot to talk about on that. But we can talk we can overview it quite easily. So I did the MGS in 2013, 2014. <coughs> I decided to um, do the race of the stones, which is a hundred kilometers down in the Wiltshire. Which still must, has, still must have been a hell of a lot easier than running in the No, it was, hard, it was ridiculously hard. I'd had run 100k in one day. Oh, in one day? Yeah, in one day, yeah. Right. So that was, that, was a, that was a crazy day. And that ended, that, I did that one reason because it was a, a great looking event. B, it was, like, ended, the, the finish line was about two miles from my family home. <laughs> it was uh, down in Wiltshire. So that was in 2014. 2015, I... Um, I did one of the Tour de France stages. Now I decided at this point I didn't want to do any more running anymore. Okay. I but you'd always to... kept up with. I'd always been. Yeah. I'd always cycled, and I'd bought a road bike in twenty twelve. Okay. And I started to love the road bike, mm-hmm. and I and I thought I don't. There's no runs I want to do anymore at the moment. I want to. I now want to be a really long distance cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided. So I got to you know got to know a very good friend of mine uh, who was a client who's now a very good friend. Who's a is a triathlete, and uh, he said told, told us about an event called the Atap, which is basically one of the Tour de France stages that anybody okay. can do. It's a week before the actual Tour de France. It's always in the mountains. So in twenty fifteen, we decided it was ridiculous. That was that was probably <laughs> one of the hardest things I've ever done. Well, a single day was absolutely mental. So that was what I did in twenty fifteen. 2016, 2016, I didn't do a lot in last year. No, quite last year. Yeah. So 2016, no, I just trained a lot. I, did, I got myself physically very strong. I got my mm-hmm. got back into weight training again because yeah. I kind of let that lapse a little bit. So I got myself physically very strong. Mm-hmm. And it's just been concentrating on, on gotten very good on the bike. And that brings us into this year. 
um, where I just want to, you know, I want to do Land's End, John O'Groats on the bike, and then I potentially want to do a world record at the end of the year, into next year. There's the whirlwind. Um, There's a little whirlwind about Pete. Sorry, that sounds really kind of like up myself, talking about myself there. No, I, time, I wanted, but, um, I uh, deliberately wanted to quiz you on your experience, mm. and yeah, it, I don't want you to feel that you've just been egotistical and just... Um, talking about yourself there's a lot there that hopefully some of the listeners will resonate with mm. that not all personal trainers come out of a personal training well, what the interesting thing was in, was in the desert which yeah. I, we, when I was in you know you meet friends for life there and you suddenly realise when I was shared this 10 for 10 days because you're out there for longer than the race because you've got to be out there for climatisation so I had these 10 mates and, and not just my tent mates that I shared the tent with but it was meeting other English people and other people in tents who all had a bit of a bit of a similar background to me. I suddenly realised. All some had kind of parted and needed to put their obsessionally <laughs> French Foreign Legion. Yeah, style. a bit of a. It's a little bit of that. Like I need to go and do this. You know, I need to do this. To, and there was a many that had this crazy history of partying. Some had been had an abusive relationship. Some had. There's a very very lots of similar stories of, of excessive behaviour in some level that needed to come to an end. Um, and a lot of people put, they ran because they needed you know they got out of the house because they needed to run they needed to play the head on you know I was you know one you know getting you know abusive relationships I just used to run I was an alcoholic so I just needed to run I used to take loads of drugs so I just needed to run so loads of the people that do these extreme sports are quite extreme people I see you know and I thought well I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm quite extreme so I suddenly was surrounded by like people that yeah you know, yeah suddenly I was like oh, yeah. I feel alright now. <laughs> <laughs> and like the backgrounds of these was like so you did that it's like yeah and you did that yeah and, you, and that happened to you yeah and you're doing this race because of yeah ah. were there any fit, not fit pros shall we say or the, or oh, yeah. the, uh, the you know the traditional yeah or, or, with, 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 yeah. you got your top you got your top you know athletes you got your top athletes yeah know, those are athletes it's, sure. it's, it's, it's like any of those you compete or you complete Okay. Two words. Yeah. Another take. The away, marathon yeah. disabler. No, yeah, that's another. Yeah, you can complete or compete. The marathon disabler. I wanted to complete it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted course. to live it. And, but okay, we'll talk about it on another time. But yeah, so you got you guys that will literally compete it, and yeah, you know they'll try and get you know top ten, top three, top four. And mindset wise, were you still able to kind of relate to that? I know you were very much a people person anyway. Yeah, but, I mean that so, was that that, you, that, that took all my mind because there were some dark, dark, dark days on that race that I've never had before. Okay. Because the extremes that you're in, and, I, I and, think and, and there's with, no hiding away. With those extremes, there's probably camaraderie anyway. So it doesn't, you are, it yeah, doesn't matter. Well ran, I yeah. pretty well ran. I pretty well ran, ran with one girl uh, through the whole time we shared. And sometimes we just ran maybe 10 foot within each other, just knowing we were there. And then, mm. sometimes, and then sometimes you didn't want to talk. You just needed to be in your own little world for a little bit. And then mm. I remember running for, along this plane. With this, obviously, it was a flatbed. It was obviously a lake at one point, but <laughs> not, not, not lately. And it was, so it was very, 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 very hot. And, um, and you felt like you were in an oven. The heat just bounced off this very white floor up onto your face, as well as the heat from the sun. And you felt very tiny. <laughs> you felt like a little speck. Yeah. And both of us, I remember we were just running and we didn't, I knew she was behind me, but didn't want to talk, didn't need to talk, didn't want to ask if she was all right, knew she was there. And then we both suddenly, I don't know how long it was, don't even know the time frame, but suddenly we were like, you're right, yeah, you, yeah. Oh, wow, that was, that was quite tough, wasn't it? Yeah, you, yeah, really tough. And we suddenly like almost came out of this little weird bubble of pain together, and then we, then we suddenly almost wanted to talk. Yeah. And then we knew we were coming up to the checkpoint, we were like, wow, that was, that was hot, wasn't it? It's hot, you feel all right? Get, take your salt tablets, yeah, I've been taking my salt tablets. And that, was, and that was that, and then we carried on, and that just that little bit. So we didn't chat the whole way, because you couldn't. Does that event changed you at all yeah it changed me mm. and you still keep in contact with yeah yeah I'm, yeah I've made friends yeah and Susie's now you know she's now a prolific ultra runner now so she's um, she's actually just finished the desert again she actually um, went out for the third time this year for the third, third, third time, time. this year third time yeah she did it um, literally just got back a few days ago last last Monday she got back my so, goodness would it would that I'm going to go back again yeah, because a friend of mine wants to do it. The guy that I did the, the Tour de France stage with, yeah. he, he fancies the desert. So I'm going to wait until he's done his triathlon stuff. And I need to do my biking stuff first. Sure. We'll go back and revisit the desert again because it's a magical place. But it can take you. If you're wow. not sure, it can take you. Wow. Okay, well, well, we've covered plenty there. We've covered a lot there. I hope there's some lot. bits in there that people can be thoughtful about. 
Okay. Um, so, and we've just mentioned your, your plans uh, for, for ahead. Um, uh, well, we can discuss some of that and, and your future plans as well about after your marathon experience, what you potentially want to do going forward. So, more to talk about, I believe. Indeed. Pete, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Really thanks appreciate for the it. Thank you for the no uh, me to open up. And we'll be back again with more bite size. Well, perhaps not so much of a a, a long personal journey. No, but, but I still think it's important. Well, it's the background, and you people know. Well, you know, kind of yeah. maybe feel like they know a little bit more what we're now. Sure, sure. So another topic, more about fitness and health, nutrition, and well-being. All right, thanks, Until guys. Bye, bye, bye. And there we have it, the story of PT Pete so far. If you want to connect with Peter, you can contact him via email at pete at ptpete.com. Instagram, it's ptpete150. Feel free to send me a message if you like. And I hope you enjoyed that because Peter and I are going to be continuing our shorter podcasts, more bite-sized. So... That'll be a separate series of podcasts independent of this one. In the meantime, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for the next episode, which features another colourful fitness individual. Thanks again.